Welcome in. This is episode 11 of the Card Chronicle podcast. Mike Rutherford here with Danny Sennard. And Dan, uh, I just got one thing to say to open up this podcast. I just, I, I just ran through a fucking brick wall right there. <laughs> I promise we're not going to start every podcast with audio, but if we keep having like these just snippets from heaven, I, I don't know what else you can do. Um, if you didn't see that a lot, I know you were talking about you didn't watch the game with audio. Um, the best part of that, well, there's like 15 best parts. I don't know if it's the fact that the dude is saying wolf instead of wolf pack. I don't know if it's that this chant, which the fans did not want to do at all, was happening when NC State was down by 13 with a minute and a half to go. And like right after they just had like the simplest pass in the world thrown right out of bounds. I think, though, the best part is we hadn't heard of if that's a PA guy or it's a, you know, I don't know what it is. We hadn't heard that voice the entire game. And it sounded like Marcus Green of WDRB, I think, put it best. It sounded like they just drugged the most hungover dude out of the crowd that they could find. And they were like, all right, man, it's on you. We're down 13 with a minute and a half to go. Get this crowd hype. Turn this shit around. And that was the best he could come up with. I think that was that was my favorite part of the entire game on Saturday. Yeah. And, I mean, not to dig. NC State, I mean, you think of them as like a proud, storied program. You think of like the 83 title um with Valvano but here's a here's a trivia just right off the bat do you know the last time NC State was in the Elite Eight oh god uh was it I think it was the they made it one year with Julius Hodge when we were in college like uh oh four oh five I actually looked it up because I thought so too that was only the sweet 16 oh god how long has it been then um I mean, because they didn't, they lost the Sweet 16 to us in 2015. Um, Godfrey hasn't done shit besides then. Um, I mean, it had to have been like, I mean, early 90s. I don't, I don't know. Give me the answer. It was the year of never nervous Purvis, 1986. No the last time NC State has been in an Elite Eight, which blew my mind when I looked that stat up. Um, that is, oh, yeah. I know. And, and you think of them as a, just like a ACC traditional. And, and I mean, not to the Duke and North Carolina stature, but I mean, that's just mind blowing. And I, I kind of feel, I, I mean, I know that clip is hilarious, but I mean, I, <laughs> I, I do, I do kind of feel for their fan base a little bit. Cause I mean, they're just mired in mediocrity. I feel for them more after watching that game on Saturday, because do you want to talk about a team that had everything in the world to play for and acted like, I mean, this was a summer exhibition in Turkey. Like, like that, I mean, they came out, they played hard at the beginning of the game, but once they started throwing the ball around and making careless mistakes, and it was obvious that they weren't going to have a great shooting night and all that stuff, like, they just could not have folded up any faster. And we're talking, of course, about the Saturday game. Louisville wins 77-57, eight straight for the cards. They now are, or they continue to be alone in first place in the ACC at 10-1 and in the conference. And this was a game, Dan, that you and I, I think maybe more me than you, a little bit nervous about uh, going into it. Just because NC State, they do have talent. Uh, DJ Funderburk is a really good player. I think we saw that firsthand on Saturday. Markel Johnson, when he's acting as a facilitator, is a fantastic player. And Braxton Beverly can shoot the lights out. But even with all that talent, even with a, a desperate situation, even playing at home against a team that had significantly less to play for than they did, 
they couldn't come within 20 points. Uh, I, I think that the credit belongs to Louisville. I think NC State certainly helped um, our cause out a little bit. But just general overreaction. I, I guess we'll start here, though. You're a big Ryan guy. We're all big Ryan guys. But you, I think more than just about anybody I know from day one, has been all in on Ryan McMahon. I, I guess I'll let you, for the overreaction segment, take a little bit of a victory lap. This was a big Saturday for you. Yeah. Uh, I've been on Ryan since day one when he got on campus and like we have like a a joke between you know some of our friends on our text thread that I'm a huge Ryan Homer and I I totally am but the fact is for four years you know he's been one of our more consistent players I mean even in the early Patino years he he won a I know he won a Syracuse game on the road um, for us but I mean, there's always going to be a place in college basketball for shooters. And Ryan has evolved his game into so much more than a shooter, which I love about him. You can tell that he worked his ass off pretty much every summer that he was here. And he's become a serviceable ball hander. And a lot, you know, from freshman year to where he is now on the defensive end is night and day. I know, you know, his height kind of gets him in trouble sometimes with being shot over on the perimeter. But as far as, you know, playing his ass off, I, 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 you, I don't think we can ask for anything more from the kid. Um, so I, I, it's something about I, I love one of the things I love about Louisville is when we do have four year guys that see it all the way through and succeed. And I think Ryan's like the true definition of that. I love that you brought up the the Syracuse game from, I think, his redshirt freshman season, because it gives me the opportunity to tell a story that I could not tell on the radio, which is why I love having the podcast. Um, so that night, I guess it was, it, I don't know if that was the Trey Lewis season. I'm kind of blanking here. I guess it was. Uh, we'd gone to overtime, and whoever was playing in front of McMahon, it may have been Trey Lewis or it may have been Quentin Snyder, um, just was not playing all that well. And so Patino played McMahon basically that entire overtime out of nowhere, and he has the big and one. I think he hit a three in the overtime period too and basically saves the day for us. And so after the game, Patino texts me, and he's like, give me a call if you're up. I, I got the you up text from Rick Patino after a road win over Syracuse. So That's I a call big him. <laughs> yeah, so I call him, and it was, it was whatever it was. I, I literally cannot even remember what he wanted to talk about. It was something that, you know, he thought he'd heard somebody said something on a radio show, and he's like, is that true or what happened? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. That person wasn't even on our show. And then he starts talking about Ryan, and he's like, how about that shit? And he's like, I knew Ryan would do it for us because the kids got balls as big as church bells. And, <laughs> and I just started dying. It's like, it's like 1230 AM. My wife's trying to sleep. I'm like cackling, laughing because this balls as big as church bells comment. But I think if one quote sums up Ryan McMahon, it's that one. He's never afraid to shoot. doesn't matter uh, if he's hit 10 in a row or missed 10 in a row. He's always going to launch. He makes, uh, I think, really smart plays with the basketball in his hand when he's driving to the basket now, uh, way more than he did as a redshirt freshman. And you're right. It seems like in the stats, the Hoops Inside guys who cover both UK and UofL and have a bunch of really, really interesting statistics constantly, they had a really good thing earlier this year. I assume it still held up relatively true, but this was a couple of weeks ago. When McMahon's on the floor, not only you know is, is he a shooting threat, but the shooting percentages for guys like Jordan Wara and Dwayne Sutton, and I think it's Wara in particular, are like exponentially higher than they are when he's on the bench. Like he just creates so much space because you have to defend him from 28 feet out. And now with him becoming a little bit more of a threat off the bounce, at least to create for other guys, I think that only adds to his, uh, you know, the 
the benefits of having him out on the floor playing the two spot. I know people talk about the defensive liabilities. He's not as bad a defender. I, I don't think I, I don't. I hate to even say bad defender. I, I think he's much better on defense than a lot of people give him credit for. The issue is when you're his size and whoever you're guarding. You know, usually if it's two guard or even if he's playing the three or a point guard. Um, they're probably going to have two or three inches on you. So you can defend them as well as you possibly can without fouling, fouling on drives. You can defend them as possible, as well as you possibly can on closeouts, high hands, chop the feet, all that good stuff. And if they can get the shot off, like, you know, there's not that much you can do about it. So I think he's come a long way in Saturday, the latest example. He's going to be that type of guy, though, who he can give you 23 in a game like this. He can give you 21 out of nowhere. And then if it's a bad matchup against a team like Florida State or against a team like Pitt, these big guards, physical man-to-man defense, he's going to be, I think, much less of a weapon. But still, just to have him, to be able to put him on the floor and spread the court is a big thing. And Saturday, he definitely uh, he showed out. It was awesome to see him have that type of performance. Any other major takeaways from Saturday's win over NC State? Yeah, I mean, just touching back on Ryan, my favorite play of the game of his, I know, I mean, the threes were incredible, but uh, in the second half when NC State kind of made a run and we were kind of trading baskets back and forth, I think it was probably around like a nine or ten point game. And there was a pass to Ryan. I don't remember if he dropped it or if it was a low pass and it, it kind of got away from him. And to see him dive for a loose ball at half court, saved yeah. it, and I think we got a bucket on that possession. I mean, it's just great. The thing I love about this team is it, it really can be any single person um, stepping up on any given night. And that's in 2013, that team kind of reminded me the same way. I mean, obviously, Russ scored a lot, but, you know, we had Luke, we had Shane. Um, Wayne probably didn't do as much that year, but we had Gorgie. So it just seems like we have a lot of ways to beat you. Um, so that's awesome to see. No, I'm right there with you, too. I'm glad you brought up the play where McMahon dove for the loose ball because I circled that one, too, because it did feel like things were starting to get away from us a little bit. And I think, if I'm remembering correctly, he actually had the ball knocked away from him, so it was going to be his turnover, and he made sure that nobody was going to get to it. And you're right, we got a bucket there, and we are able to stop that. And it it is interesting how a month and a half ago the knock on this team was. I remember they talked about it nonstop during the Texas Tech game. If Jordan Wars doesn't have it going, what does Louisville do? Uh, they talk about it in the Florida State game a lot, too, because he was scoring 32 points and nobody else was doing anything. And now during this eight-game winning streak, we've had somebody step up, you know, maybe not to the level of Jordan or to the level of, um, you know, David Johnson on, on a nightly basis, but we've had somebody step up and play above their head just about every single night, whether it was, you know, Darius scoring 19 a few games ago, Ryan on Saturday, David's big game um, in Cameron Indoor. And then Jordan playing above his own average and scoring 37 against BC. It is, it's just been really fun to watch this team evolve and get to a point where you don't need Jordan Warren to score 20, 25 points on a night for you to beat a quality opponent. I mean, Jordan didn't have his best game against NC State, and it didn't matter. He was 3 of 13 from the field, 14 points, 9 rebounds. And he and, um, and Sam Williamson were the only two guys we had who shot worse than 50% from the field, which is pretty remarkable. So I, I thought it was a... I mean, nothing to hate about this performance. I, I did see some people during the game get upset about the fact that, yay, we led by 15 at halftime, and NC State was able to whittle that down to, I think, four was the closest it got in the second half. And I just, I love that we've gotten to the point where we've transitioned from everybody being pissed off that this team can't win games by 20 points against teams that they should beat relatively handily to 
this team can't lead by 15 to 20 points for 40 minutes, as right. if that's a, a doable thing. I mean, I saw people saying that, like, this is on Chris Mack. Like, how, like what are you doing out here? When is this team going to get some toughness? Like, it was a road game against a team that's on the bubble that we were only favored to win by three points. The fact that we won by 20 and people still found something to nitpick. And I'll say there's a part of me that loves it. Like, I love the intensity of our fan base. I love that we like to analyze every little thing because we care so much about this. And that's what it all comes down to. We have an extreme amount of passion. And it's not the type of passion that leads you to, you know, go find a referee's business Facebook page and harass him until the FBI gets involved. It's passion like, you know, we, we want to talk about, analyze every little detail about the team. It's Louisville basketball and it's what we do as fans. But at the same time, man, if you can't enjoy a 20-point win over a team like NC State on the road uh, and enjoy an eight-game winning streak, what are you doing here? Yeah, and the thing is, we could not – the first 10 minutes were atrocious. I yeah. mean – we looked terrible. We were loose, as loose as the ball as I've seen us in a while. Um, and I, I just think that speaks to our team even more is, you know, that they don't let stuff like that bother them. Um, and every, like you said, everyone's kind of finding their role. Like my, be, the, my favorite thing about this is if, if it is one guy that steps up, like, so the first half, like fresh had a terrible first half. Um, uh, he had a couple turnovers that were terrible comes back in the second half and this is my favorite thing about fresh by the way is he always seems to hit big like momentum changing threes i think he uh-huh. had two of them in the second half um you know malik I, I i only i think he only had like one or two rebounds um but had some big plays on the offensive end in the second half so you know people if they're playing you know not up to their their best that they stick within the game plan and good things usually end up happening for him. And it just seems everyone's kind of accepting their, their own role on the team. I thought Jim Christian, the Boston college coach, I, I think he said it best last week when he talked about this is a Louisville team that has nine starters basically at this point. I think you feel, you feel really good about all nine guys you have in the rotation right now. One or two of them are going to have an off night from time to time. I and mean, you're going to have a first half like fresh had, you're going to have, uh, a game where Ryan doesn't do a whole lot or a game where Darius turns it over a couple too many times or, you know, Jordan is being limited because the opponent has so much focus on him. But you can't stop everybody on this team. And that was, again, it's so different from the way we were talking about things a month and a half ago where it was, you know, Jordan's he's he's great. But when teams make it a point to shut him down, we don't have a second guy who can go out and get a bucket. We don't have a second guy who can create his own shot. The big guys aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And now all of that has been kind of blown up, and this team is has totally flipped that conversation on its head. The only thing, this is legit my biggest concern right now with this team, and I don't know if you saw this and think that I'm making too much of it, but I think Malik Williams' knee is, uh, is not 100%. I don't think it's close to 100%. He looks like he's not moving very well. And that, I mean, he's a really, really important guy for us down the stretch because he's one of the best defensive big men in the country. No, I, I completely agree. But if there's anyone on the team, not that I want anyone to be banged up, but if there's anyone on the team who I, I, I think can kind of just man up and play through it, it's Malik. Um, I mean, he's been an absolute monster this year. Uh, I thought it, Steve gave us some really good minutes on Saturday. I know people, he's probably not scoring at the rate. I think people thought he was going to when he, when he came into the year, but I thought he, he, he was pretty valuable in the minutes that he played. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. We're, we're definitely going to need Malik. 
um, you know, in the long run, obviously he's a, he's a key cog for us. Um, we just hope that it's, it's nothing too serious and he can kind of play through whatever it is that's nagging him. Here's the thing about Steven too, is everybody keeps talking about, well, he's got to do more in the post. You got to feed him more. He's got to dunk more against teams that play like NC state. If they want to take Steven Enoch away, they can. And I think Louisville's going to be fine with that because we shoot the ball better from the outside than just about anybody in the country. And we're the top three point shooting team in the ACC. So especially we don't do that high ball screen anymore, except when David Johnson's out there and David uses that more for himself than, you know, like Quentin Snyder used to, or than Kristen Cunningham did last year and not having those types of trips that takes away opportunities for Steven to score on, you know, pick and pop. We were using that a bunch uh, to get him outside looks. He can't slip that screen and get easy buckets that way. So it's basically all just post-up stuff. And if teams like NC State are going to double the post, that's fine. Like, like we're gonna have, we have shooters all over the floor, and you saw exactly what happened. Steven only took three shots. We were 11 of 20 from three. And look, I mean, I'm fine with that. Like, like that's, that's totally fine. If you want to make us beat you from the outside, I think we can beat you from the outside at this point. And if you want to go one-on-one with Steven at some point, you've got a you know six foot nine center who's not nearly as bulky as he is, then we're going to light you up that way too. So I, I like where we are right now. I like that Steven doesn't seem to be forcing things. He only took three shots because there were only three shots available for him. Um, the passing could obviously be a little bit better, but that's a, a nitpicky thing right now. Like I said, like I, it's there's not one guy that you can point to and say, he's got to be better. He, he's got to be doing more. I know people pointed to Darius Perry a little bit, but he's played really well. He just got into foul trouble on Saturday, and everybody else was playing so well that there was no point in bringing him back into the game. Like, I'm, I'm really happy with all nine of the guys we have. And shout out to Josh Nickelberry, the 10th guy, oh, comes yeah. off the bench, cans a three back in his home state in front of friends and family. And I think that was the biggest celebration of the entire game on the bench. I love a good bench reaction. Ryan oh, was too. like, Ryan would look like he was doing invisible box jumps over on the sideline when <laughs> uh, Josh hit that. But yeah, no, I, uh, I I love to see the bench going crazy for guys that, you know, are, aren't playing a lot. But back to Steve real quick. Uh, it, it is nice to see that, um, God, Dave does such a good job reading you know when he can take the ball to the basket reading when the pick and roll is going to work um i mean he got in the lane a couple times just i mean nc state's you know defense as far as stopping the ball with him getting in the lane was terrible he just got in there with no problem but the one time they kind of did uh he ran the pick and roll with steve and steve kind of slipped it and that was a sweet alley-oop that he threw to him um and i god things just run so smooth when dave is in the game it's hard like i understand fresh i kind of feel like he's our closer a little bit and he's in there in crunch time but man i i kind of tense up a little bit when we take dave off off the floor but um you know shout out to to fresh so far when when push comes to shove in the big moments he's making the plays yeah, he was fantastic, and uh, down the stretch especially. And you're right, he hit the two big threes. He always seems to – he doesn't hit them very often, but when he does, they always seem to be really critical shots. And you brought up the first 10 minutes. Louisville, in the opening two segments, had 10 turnovers and 10 fouls. And I think that like we only bitch about officiating. I say we as like general fans of sports. We only bitch about officiating when our teams end up losing games. I think we can bitch about the officiating in this game that we won by 20. Like it was, it was awful at the, especially yeah. in the first half I was all ready to do. I mean, this is why I try not to tweet as much during games or at least try to like not tweet my actual thoughts during games 
because I'm just as bad as some of the worst stuff that you see. Like, I've got these conspiracy theories going on in my head. Like, the ACC needs to get as many teams as they can into the NCAA tournament. So, you know, they're, they're getting a home whistle. NC State's going to get every break. And, you know, that's why we're getting foul, called for all this. Like, the Dwayne Sutton offensive foul was such bullshit. The, um, the kid for them just shoved Ryan McMahon on a putback. Uh, it was just, just atrocious. TV Ted Valentine was doing his thing. So am I right in saying that yeah. the officiating like, was bullshit? It's like every offseason, or even almost after every game, it's like I get like the men in black mind zapper, where I just like, I'm like, completely forget how atrocious college refs are. Like, I, I don't know why it always surprises me. Like, the game starts, I'm like, well, that's a fucking terrible call. And then, like, five minutes, I'm like, well, this is atrocious. And I'm like, I'm doing this every single game, it seems like. I mean, it is awful. And even when I'm watching other games, like, I'm like, well, this team's getting screwed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things. It's part of the sport, and I hate it. But you, especially if you're on the road, it's almost like you, not only do you have to beat the other team. And I, I know, you know calls one against nc state too but for the most part it, in, in general it seems like you not only have to beat the other team when you're on the road but you have to kind of play through the officiating as well because you know a lot of like, almost every 50 50 balls not going to go your way and a lot of calls aren't going to go your way as well so i just some first i, I just need to train my mind and knowing going into a game that the refs are going to be fucking terrible i love that you snuck in the some calls went against nc state too because that's the key when you want to talk about refs is you got to say there were some you, you got to preface oh, yeah. everything you do the whole you know there were some there, there were bad calls both ways there always are and officiating never decides games but here let me talk for 10 minutes about why these were the worst fucking refs of all time and they just straight ran my favorite team and we would have won by 15 points had these guys not been so just incompetent at their jobs but if you preface that then you can just bitch all you want so you did oh, the right thing there 100% yeah I'm a professional debater all right last thing on NC State before we move on after seeing this team, they're 14 and eight overall. They're five and six in the ACC. Um, their net ranking, I believe, is a let's see, it's 68 as of right now. Does this team make the NCAA tournament? No, I, they did not show me anything. Um, I love my guy Kevin Keats. Uh, kind of surprised, like he hasn't really adapted the like Patino like kind of full court, like, you know, 40 minutes of hell. I mean, not Mike Anderson, 40 minutes of hell, but just kind of dog the ball handlers up and down. Um, I thought he would bring that with him. But, yeah, I mean, I wasn't too impressed. Like you said, they kind of gave up in the last, it seemed like, eight minutes. Um, I, I just, with the ACC, there's not a, a ton of opportunities for big wins. I, I just don't see them going dancing this year. Yeah, he did play the the up tempo full court, you know, pressure for the first two years in Raleigh, and this year he started off playing that way, and then really backed up, backed off it when they had some injuries. And then, like they're kind of healthy now, they still have a couple of guys who are either limping around or, or are out completely. So I think that's probably why they backed off it. But this looks like it's going to be the second straight year where a really promising season ends up with them being on the bubble. And I, I'm kind of with you after seeing that game on Saturday and seeing what their level of fight was in a really big situation, which was not a whole lot. I, I, I don't know. I think Virginia's going to be a team that gets it done now. I'm going back on that. I'm with you. I don't think NC State's going to be the fourth or fifth team out of this conference. But they've got a pretty – they still get Duke. They still get Florida State, and both those games are at home. Um, and then they go to Cameron at the end of the regular season. So they'll, they'll have opportunities, which is – I mean, advanced. they have they have talent. Um, I mean, I, I think offensively they have talent. 
um, for whatever reason, the the last like six, seven games, they, they just seem to kind of be in a funk. So whatever they need to do, snap out of it. They better hurry up and do it. All right. My original plan for this portion of the podcast, because Louisville plays Wake Forest nine o'clock Wednesday night. I was going to sit here for like half an hour and let you try and defend why you were a Danny Manning believer for so long. And not like Danny Manning a believer as the player, but like you believed in Danny Manning as a coach. And it has been thrown in your face about a billion times at this point. But we're not going to do that. We're not going to talk a whole lot about Wayne. Before you do that, I I will say I was kind of – I didn't know which direction you wanted to go on the podcast tonight. So just as homework, I Googled Danny Manning's best 10 wins at Wake Forest. (laughs) Oh, oh man. It's like not a whole lot to work with there. Uh, It It was was the one against us. It was. It was the one against us was the biggest in 2017. Um, and John then the re- yeah, and then the rest are from like 2015. I think like, well, there's been one year where he went like nine and nine in the ACC, um, and had like a winning record. But yeah, it's a, oh, my boy Danny. It, it's it's a it's a rough looking resume. I, I just for so I must have watched like two Tulsa games when he was there. I was like, well, this guy's the next John Wooden. I mean, how about that though? In the most important game of Danny Manning's career. He outduels Hall of Famer Rick Patino and gets into the NCAA. Like, we sent Danny Manning to his only NCAA tournament uh, at Wake Forest. They went to the first four and got beat uh, with a guy who's going to end up being a pretty good NBA player in John Collins. But, yeah, uh, I can't imagine what the other nine games on that list looked like. Yeah. All right, so uh, instead of having some Wake Forest talk, I went ahead and asked you guys for uh, questions for us to talk about on Twitter, and you all delivered – I mean, a a shitload of questions, so many that we're not going to be able to get nearly to all of them. We'll save some of the evergreen ones for later in the week, and we'll try to get to as many as possible. But there were a decent amount of repeat questions. Far and away, the the question that people wanted to hear us talk about the most was me getting laid off at 790 in the radio (laughs) station. You can go back. You can find the uh, the episode. I think it's titled The One After Mike Gets Fired, if you want to hear my explanation for what went down there. We won't get into that. The second most repeated question was just basic obscene shit. We'll, we'll talk about some of that. But the third biggest one, and the one that I think is interesting, people have their attention focused on this so much right now, is what Louisville needs to do or what needs to happen for Louisville to be a one seed on Selection Sunday. And it's going to be really interesting because Saturday they're doing that top 16 seed reveal thing on CBS. It's at 1230 before the uh, the Kentucky game. I think they play Tennessee. I think that's right. Yeah. Whoever it is. like At 1230 on CBS, the tournament selection committee is going to reveal the top 16 teams at this moment. And I'm curious to see how they view Louisville's profile. Um, Louisville, number seven in the net right now. They only had one quad uh, or, or one really quality victory in non-conference play, and it was against Michigan at home, and it doesn't look nearly as good as it did back at the time. The Duke win is huge. But against their other uh, quad one opponents at Kentucky, um, neutral court against Texas Tech, at home against Florida State, they, they lost those games. Now, they did, they did just pick up a quad win over NC State, but they don't have as many quad win teams as some of the, the schools that are behind them in the net. But the overall record is great. And then, obviously, the win at Duke, Cameron Indoor, is, is huge. Um, so, I guess, real quick, assuming that Louisville, before we get to the actual question, assuming Louisville takes care of Wake on Wednesday, where do you expect to see them on this list of the top 16 teams at the moment? 
I guess I'm a little nervous because, uh, and I don't, I probably don't get into this, you know, quad one, quad two wins as much as you do, but I feel like the NCAA values wins more than they do losses. And I feel like we don't have a lot on our resume. Um, if I had to guess, I would say we're probably going to be a two seed, maybe like the third two seed. I'm just throwing a dart there. I honestly have no idea. I already know I'm dreading this because last time they did this last year, uh, the Florida State game was like one hour later, and that started like the complete downfall of our season, like right oh, after shit. these rankings got revealed. I think we were like number like 16 or something, and after that we just like, completely shit the bed for most of the rest of the year so i almost don't even want him to come out to be honest i forgot that that was what yeah because we were in the top i think we were 15 last year uh yeah. whatever it was we were in the top 16 and then we lose to that's right that's exactly when it started um but i'm with you i i think louisville's probably going to be number six or number seven on this list and, and when you look at the like like i said some teams have more quad one wins <laughs> like duke has five uh, Baylor has seven, Kansas has nine, Louisville only four and three in quad one games, but three and zero oh in quad two games, seven and zero oh in quad three games, and five and zero oh in quad four uh, games. Like you said, no bad losses on there. Duke has the quad three loss to Stephen F. Austin. Um, you know, Michigan State has a quad two loss. Uh, even Baylor, uh, their one loss to Washington on a neutral floor is a quad one, a quad two loss. So we got that going for us, which is nice. Uh, but I, I'm with you. I, I think we'll be number six or number seven when this all comes out. But let's talk about, I guess, the, the question that led us here. What needs to happen for Louisville to be a number one seed on Selection Sunday? For starters, well, I'll ask you this, and then I'll tell you my opinion. Do you think that Louisville controls its own destiny? If we win out, it doesn't matter what happens across the rest of the country. We're definitely a one seed. Oh, man. Um, gosh, it's tough to say just because... I, with Gonzaga and San Diego State being there, there's probably not going to be a whole lot of opportunities for them to lose games. Um, so I don't know. That's a tough question. I, I, if I had to say, I mean, if we win out, I'll say, yeah. I mean, winning out, yeah, I'll say we get a one seed. I don't think we're going to win out. But, um, yeah, I, just with San Diego State and Gonzaga being up in the top four, I think it's going to be a lot more difficult to get a one seed than maybe in like, you know, past years. I think the only way I think there's one scenario where if we went out, we don't get a one seed still. And it's like you said, San Diego state, they're 23 and zero right now. They've got six regular season games left. Um, they're going to be heavy favorites in all those games. They don't play anybody really good in the mountain West left. Um, I, I, I think this is just prediction of the wall. I think San Diego state's going to pull the 2004 St. Joe's where they go undefeated in the regular season and then lose before the championship game of their conference tournament. But if they do win out, they're going to be a one seed. There's no way that we'll, that an undefeated San Diego State team is going to be left off the top line. And they had, I mean, people kind of give them shit for playing in the Mountain West. They beat Creighton, they beat Iowa, and they beat, uh, they won at BYU. They've got four quad one wins already. So they're going to have enough of a resume if they're undefeated to justify being on the top line without much of a pushback. Gonzaga, if they went out, they're on the top line, no question about it. The only, because then you, you look at Baylor and Kansas. Kansas has more quad wins, one wins than anybody. They've got nine. Baylor's 7-0 and in quad one games. Um, number one in all the human polls. They've got a, a fantastic resume. I think if, if Kansas won out and beat Baylor, and Baylor was, had as many losses as us, they, they lose twice to Kansas, 
then I think that the, those two teams both make the top line, and that's what gets us left out. But any other scenario, I think we beat a two-loss Dayton team out. We obviously would beat Duke out because we would play them again uh, probably in the ACC tournament. And then both Seton Hall and Villanova losing over the weekend I think really helped us out a lot there too. So I think if we went out, there's like a 95% chance that we would be a one seed. If we lose one game, let's say it's at Florida State or to Duke or Florida State in the conference tournament, we'd still have a shot, but we would need some help there. Is that, is that safe to say? Yeah, and I mean, it's a great question. I just can't even, I mean, I guess it is February and we're kind of kind of getting near March here. I, and I just can't fathom winning out. That just seems like a lot of games to me, but it's probably not in, in actuality. But um, yeah, I mean, if we went out, I would feel pretty damn good. Um, yeah, we, we always the one seed. We always talk about this shit like in early February and then yeah. everybody in the country has like two or three more losses. Exactly. Left. Like that's so I mean, it's such a long way to go. I, I feel like especially this year, um, you're bound to see shit hit the fan at some point. All right. Um, our guy, uh, fan of the pod, Sean Moth, Cards PA. Uh, we love him. He's a he's a, he's a listener. He wanted to know uh, of a, comp- a comparison with David Johnson. He says, I'm an old guy. All I could come up with, Der- was, with, with was Derek Harper. He's a pretty special talent. Um, does anybody come to mind? I've got one, so I can go first if you can't think of it. Yeah, anything. go first because i, I got to rack my brain here. And I wish I could give this person credit, but this uh, somebody tweeted at me, and this is going to be maybe sacrilegious for a Louisville pod to talk about this, but I like this guy, and I still kind of like him, so I don't feel bad bringing it up. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Like, he's got the the length to him. He whips those, uh, you know, those skip passes across the floor and, and seems to do it pretty effortlessly. He move, He's faster than you think he is because he's so smooth. I, and Shea has been, I mean, a, a good NBA player. He wound up making a hell of a name for himself at Kentucky. I can see a lot. I, I think David's actually a little bit more explosive. He maybe he has the same struggles with his outside shot. But I can see, like, I thought that was a good comparison. He, he, there are a lot of similarities there in just the, their size, their overall body type, and I think the way that they play. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely better than anyone I can come up with. Um, the comparison I'm going to make, and it's not to the player itself. Um, there's a move that David Johnson does where it's it's kind of like a, a power dribble over the defender where he kind of like swings the ball over the defender and gets to the gets to the bucket. And he does it as well as anyone that I've seen since like Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade was so good at that where he'd like get a full head of steam um, on the fast break and like a defender would come up and he would just kind of step through and swing the ball over him. And I've seen Dave, he's even done it in the half court. So like I said, I'm not comparing Dave to Dwayne Wade. That's just, I couldn't think of one off the top of my head, but I was just thinking of some sort of comparison in his game. And that's one thing that stood out to me. All right. Uh, at Cards Talking says, did you fap during the Super Bowl halftime show? <laughs> Shit. It's like also something I couldn't talk about on the radio. Um, the answer is no. Uh, I was sitting there with my wife and my five-month-old daughter, so did not happen. <laughs> but I will say it was nice to see two females who played a very large part in my, my adolescence still looking very good and still doing their thing on the biggest of stages. It was a great halftime show, Dan. Yeah, my wife, I was sitting as well watching with my wife, um, and she was like, look at J-Lo, 51, she's unbelievable, and I was like, look at her, as I was like, 
on my phone going down like a Shakira rabbit hole, like nobody's <laughs> business. So I was like, yeah, she looks great. So no, yeah. Great halftime show. Um, yeah, that, that's all I can say. Good halftime show. All right. Uh, at Finn analysis, Tommy boy on Twitter says, what five do you want out there or trust the most right now in the games on the line? Ooh, the final great match? question. I like this question. What do you got? I'll let you go. First. <sighs> all right. Um, Oh man. Like I and I just talked about this earlier. Like as much as I love Dave, for some reason down the stretch, it seems like Fresh is kind of the guy that that's been able to step up when we need a, a key bucket. So as of now, and again, this is and if Dave was in here instead of Fresh, I'd be completely as comfortable. But I'll say Fresh at the one, Ryan at the two. Uh, I'll say uh, Jordan at the three. Dwayne at the four, Malik at the five. This is a uh, this is a total cop out answer by me. I think it kind of depends on like the flow of the game and the opponent. Because, yeah, I agree. Like, because I'm with you. Like, that's my first instinct as well. But if we're playing a team with big guards, like like in the Duke game, we had David out there in crunch time until he got hurt. Uh, he was playing alongside Fresh. We actually were playing him at the two a little bit, and he and Fresh were just mixing and matching. And he was good until he made those two turnovers and then he got hurt. But, like, I was totally comfortable with him out there. Like, it felt like he needed to be out there in that situation. Then on Saturday, like, I felt like if that game had gotten close in the final minutes, we would have needed Ryan to be out there. So I'm not going to cop out, though. I will give you a five. And I think it's actually – I'll say say fresh. I'll say DJ. Uh, I I love Ryan in a situational deal. I would love to have him out there. But I'll say fresh and DJ. And then the same three you had, Jordan – um, Steve, uh, Jordan Dwayne and Malik Williams. Uh, I think that Malik has been really good down the stretch. And typically if it's a, you know, if it's one of those nip and tuck games, if we're ahead by one or whoever we're playing is ahead by one, you value defense over offense because you can, you can sub a guy into, to, you know, to play offense if you call a timeout and you get the ball. And I think Malik is, is clearly our better option defensively. So I'm with you. I, I, I think you've got it. And like you said, a lot to, pe- I mean, and Chris is going to sub offense defense towards the end there of the is. game. So there's the Chris yeah. call. No, Chris, what up, Chris, <laughs> my boy. Uh, but uh, no, Chris is going to he, he'll sub offense defense at the end of the game. So I mean, those lineups can change. What other? Uh, I, I tinkered with this a little bit. I'm actually got to the point like if we're on offense and we're looking for a bucket. I am okay with subbing out Dwayne and putting Jordan at the four and putting Sam at the three. I've, I've become that comfortable with Sam on the floor, like oh, yeah. um, on the offensive end, which is a, a great sign for our team. No, hundred percent. And I like having Dwayne out there. I still would prefer him just because he does have a, a knack for making big shots. And I think he doesn't hesitate to, to make that move to the basket. He also, he's, He's gotten really good at getting the line in those situations. The only issue is he's not shooting the ball that well from the free throw line. It got a little bit better recently, but um, he's, he's definitely had more struggles there than he has in the past. But it goes back to the thing we're talking about, having nine starters. You can't really go wrong. Like, like I feel like there's not, there's not a mix of those five guys or those nine guys that would make me uncomfortable in a late-game situation. I think I would feel confident with any five, any combination of five that we could throw out there. Um, All right. Let me before we move on. Let me ask: Are are you of or against or okay with the starting lineup, or are you ready to tinker it? Well, here we go. You lead us right into the the next topic of discussion because this was also a repeat question. A lot of people were asking about, you know, what does David Johnson have to do to start? Do we get Darius Perry out? 
And then I think even more people were saying, can we just stop talking about this because all four guards are good and it's going to work itself out. Like I'm fine with, with the starting lineup we have right now. I know a lot of people aren't. I know a lot of people want to see DJ moved in there. I think some people want to see Fresh out. Others want to see Darius out. But like I like the fact, and I, my guy Crumb's Revenge pointed this out. He said the exact same thing, and I had the totally the same thought when this was being debated after the NC State game. I like that David gets to kind of sit on the bench and figure out the flow of the game, see what the other team's doing defensively. And the biggest thing to me is, is this has been statistically proven, the most the, the part of the game where the most fouls are called are the first segment of the first half and the first segment of the, of the second half. And David is still kind of figuring it out defensively, and he has a tendency when a guy gets a step on him to just grab him and pick up a cheap foul call. We don't need him in foul trouble. And I think if you can keep him out of that first segment where the whistles are, are usually blowing uh, the, the most, then I think that's a good thing. So for those reasons, I'm fine with the starting lineup being the way it is. So am I. And like, I don't know why we would change it. We're, ever since we had this lineup, we're, we're literally clicking on L cylinders. So obviously everyone is comfortable in the role that they're in. Um, I, and I'm of the opinion that, uh, you know, this is like the biggest Jay Bill is saying, it doesn't matter who starts the game, but who finishes the game. Um, but I mean, it's true. Like 2013, a lot of people forget that Luke wasn't even a starter and mm-hmm. the, you know, the, it was Wayne that started and Luke ended up winning, you know, most outstanding player, the, the final four. So, I mean, if everyone's kind of found the role that they're comfortable in, Keep going with the lineup that that's you know getting you the W's here. That's that's my opinion. The other thing that I'll say too is like the guys that we have coming off the bench right now, uh, the primary guys like David and like Ryan and like Samuel Williamson uh, and like Malik. I don't think they don't strike me as the guys who care about this sort of thing. Like they don't they don't care about hearing their names called in home arenas so that the fans can cheer for them. They don't care about you know getting out and silencing the crowd before games in, in away arenas. It just seems like they, they're they totally comfortable with their roles, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, you bring up the, the Luke Wayne example. Patino flipped and flopped those guys back and forth, I think, that year and the next year. And the reason why he said he ended up starting Wayne and brought Luke off the bench was because Wayne cared about it and Luke didn't. Like, he was like, it was that simple. Like, like Wayne gets his feelings hurt. Luke doesn't give a shit. So we're going to bring Luke off the bench, and he's going to play more minutes if, if the situation calls for it. And if Wayne's playing well, he's going to play more minutes, and that's the way it works. I think that we just get... I think the kids get caught up in starting more than anybody else, but the fans also make it a bigger deal than it probably is. So I'm fine with it. The, the one thing that I, I would, I guess, kind of add on as an addendum there, if if Mac wanted to go with a different lineup to start the second half, I'd be totally fine with it just because we have sucked so much ass in the first segment after halftime yeah. all year long. Like if, if a guy, like if Ryan was hitting a billion shots on Saturday, which he was, I would have been totally fine with starting him in the second half. But that's a... Again, a little bit of a nitpicky thing, and I, don't, I don't, really don't think it makes all that big of a difference. Um, Aaron Matus from WDRB, and I only bring this up for you, Viking superfan. Uh, Aaron says, if the Super Bowl were played on Monday, and if Kyle Shanahan had a double-digit second-half lead on Kirk Cousins, who wins? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. Jeez. Uh, yeah, I mean, probably. Uh, Kurt had a great year, all right? Uh, I mean, I'm not going to do guy that made the Pro Bowl. You just called um, him Kurt, so, yeah, yeah not, that, well, not that great. No, I mean, his offensive line was 
still kind of garbage at pass protection. We don't need to get into this, so we'll, we'll just move <laughs> on to the next question. I don't want to answer that. Uh, Matthew Walker says, are you following the 2020 incoming class? Who's been impressive so far, and how will they fit in the mix next year? Um, we only have three players that are committed right now, I guess that are signed right now. I don't. Uh, my assumption is that if we add more guys for next season, and we will, they're probably going to be grad transfers or traditional transfers. Um, the two standard recruits that are going to be freshmen next year, uh, DeAndre Davis out of Indianapolis, Lord Lawrence Central is having a big time senior year. I think a lot of people are excited about him. And then JJ Trainer, Jason Osborne's kid out of Bargetown High School. I think both these guys, like I like both them as long-term college players, but they're kind of they're more like the other four guys in this year's freshman class, the not Samuel Williamson, David Johnson guys who are going to be not huge impact guys as freshmen maybe role players as sophomores, and then you hope they're going to be really good college players by the time that they're juniors. The third player in this class is the big one, and we had a bunch of questions about this. Um, Jay Scrub, Trinity High School, now at John Logan Juco. He's the number one junior college player in the country. A lot of people think that it's between, well, he's already signed with Louisville, so there's no uh, between, but it's either he's going to go to Louisville or he's going to go to the NBA. And that's a big deal for next season. There's no Jay, 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 listen, if you're listening on, to the podcast, buddy, we we need you. I don't know how to say it. I'll 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 do anything. Whatever you need, I'll do it. I've I seen mean, the highlights. I'll I will do anything. Because a lot of people, does he remind you of anybody? Because that was a, another question that we got. Um, he's a, a left-handed shooter. Yeah. He's an outside shooter. He's very. He's a super explosive kid. Um, he reminds me. Behind? Yeah, he reminds me of a bouncier Rodney Hood a little bit um Rodney yeah Rodney Hood uh it kind of had like a quick release left-handed guy but I mean he is explosive but I mean I think Jay Scrub is a a different kind of explosive but if I had a player comp it would probably be Rodney Hood all right um okay with that uh I can't really think of anybody I, I feel like the like the generic thing, it's like when you have to compare everybody to the same race. Like, if you have a left-handed guy, you've got to compare him to a left-handed yeah. guy. I was like, because I'm like, Salim Stoudemire? <laughs> like, no, that's <laughs> that's horribly wrong. Like, yeah, Le- I mean, so I thought, I, I, James Young from Kentucky crossed my mind, but James Young was kind of like a, I don't know. He, he was kind of like a little more slow-moving. He was explosive, but yeah, I don't know. I'm... Uh, Whatever, whatever. I'm all in on Jay Scrub. I I need this guy to come to Louisville. Like all I can think about is like Steve Francis when he was the JUCO that came to Maryland, just took uh-huh. over college basketball. Like I know I'm probably setting my sights too high, but that's like what I dream of when Jay Scrub comes to Louisville. And not to do this thing because obviously we're in the midst of what has been a, a pretty special season so far, and has the potential to be even more special over these next two months. But there's so much talk, and I mean, I bought into this as well, and I've said the exact same thing, but there's been so much talk about this is your one shot to do something big. Next year's team's not going to be as good as this year's team. You got the NCAA stuff. If Louisville has David Johnson, Samuel Williamson, and Jay Scrub next year, and Malik Williams back uh, playing center, I mean, you got you got some pieces you have to find to put around those guys. That's a pretty fucking good core for next season. Like, if you get those three guys, or those four guys, uh, we have a chance to be pretty damn good again. But again... No reason to look too far ahead. Uh, we're in the midst of something pretty cool. Last question here before we uh, we bounce on out of here, because a lot of people wanted to know about this. And there's no reason to get some, – some people wanted to talk about potential first-round games that you know you wanted to avoid. 
we don't need to go that deep quite right now because I mean, we still like we got a month of the regular season still to play. But is there anybody out there that you look at across the college basketball landscape and say, I just don't want to see those guys in March because they're a bad matchup for us? Oh man, um, I mean, I, I honestly think we are good enough to 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 beat anyone. Now it's NC tournament, you know, the cliche saying you can get beat on any any given night. If I had to pick three teams, it's probably not going to be a popular answer here. And I, even if it's not popular, I know people are thinking it. Um, <laughs> well, number one, probably Kentucky. And it's more, not because we're not as good as them. I think we are better than them, even though we lost. There's just like a mental hurdle there that I would rather clear that in the regular season than risk having to clear it in the tournament. And I don't think... I would be able to handle this team being bounced by Kentucky. I think it would it would take too much on me, and you probably wouldn't hear from me for about two years. Um, <laughs> two, uh, again, probably another cliche answer: Michigan State, because uh, uh, the the trend I have here with the teams I'm about to name, they all have guards that can take over the game. Um, you know, I, I just, the, the thought of like Cassius Winston, like taking over on us, like kind of scares me a little bit. And then the third one, I said this the other night in our text chain and like, it's probably not a well thought answer, but I'll say Oregon. Um, I've watched him a couple of times. I think Pritchard's really good. Again, another guard, I think that could take over. So, uh, those are my three. Um, I don't know. What's your opinion? Can you name one player for Oregon <laughs> no, besides Peyton no, Pritchard? I can't. I can't. I can't. I was like, how about this kid? <laughs> I will say, Dana Altman is a really good coach, too. That, 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 that scares me. But, yeah, I was like, don't ask me this, please. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm with you, actually, on that, too. I think Oregon's a little bit scary. I'm, I'm usually the guy who's exactly where you are as far as Kentucky's concerned. If we beat Kentucky in the regular season, I don't understand the fans that are like, I want them again. Like, why? Like, like we've, we've won. We've got 365 days. Let's just enjoy this. Um, but even when we've lost, I've usually been like, they're a bad matchup for us. We've got the mental thing going. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put it out there. If Louisville plays Kentucky in the NCAA tournament, Louisville's beating Kentucky. I, oh, feel, I feel very confident about it. Like, I think that that game at Rupp Arena was just kind of bullshit. I think it got away from them. I don't, I don't think that we'll have the mental block against them um, going into the tournament. And I just... I think Kentucky's fine. I don't think that they're – I mean, I don't think this is a top half of Calipari's tenure type team. I think he's had at least five or six better teams than this one since he's been at UK. And I just – I mean, maybe they'll make me look dumb for the 50th time in a row. I'm sure that they'll be fine in the tournament. I'm sure they'll make the second weekend because they always make the second weekend. But I feel like if we ran into them in a regional final or in the Sweet 16, um, I'm not saying I wouldn't be scared shitless and just you know on edge the entire week because I absolutely would. I think we'd win the game. Um, the team that, looking across the country, because I'm with you, like I, there's nobody like there have been in years past where I'm like we would have a five percent chance of winning that game or we'd have a twenty percent chance of winning that game. Like Kansas doesn't scare me all that much. I think they're really good. I think Dotson's fantastic. I'd probably say Baylor, and, and I've become more of a Baylor believer just over the last three weeks. I definitely was not, but Scott they. Scott I mean, I know, but like he's. They're, if you watch them play, I know. Like, no, I agree. Yeah, they're, it took me actually sitting good. down and watching like two full Baylor games to be like, okay, I'm gonna stop shooting all over this team. Uh, Butler, their point guard's fantastic. Macy Oteague has been really, really good. Um, and Tristan Clark came back after being hurt, and 
hasn't really, you know, he, he didn't have any, any sort of impact on this season uh, before he went down. Like they just, they're big, they're physical, they're all the things. And they force a bunch of turnovers, which is what gets us into a whole lot of trouble. I was looking at the team, the teams that force the most turnovers in the country and the five power five conference teams that rank in the top 20, the only ones that we've played have all been ones that have either beaten us or that have uh, played us really hard. Uh, Florida State, Texas Tech, and Pitt were the three teams that we on our schedule that rank in the top 20 in turnover percentage. And Baylor's right there in the top 25. So I'd just prefer to steer clear of them, but I'm with you. And I'll, if you're a fan, we talked about the nitpicky fans that are like diving into every detail and still think this team should be winning every game by 40. If you want to feel better about the Louisville Cardinals right now, watch more college basketball. Like that's my best advice to you. Sit down, watch a full game, Imagine that you're a diehard fan of one of these two teams and you're following every play like you do for Louisville. You will, I think it will make you feel better about UofL because every team has the same types of fatal flaws, the same types of nitpicky stuff that we just obsess over and, and just think panic about and think that it's going to be what dooms us to an early exit in March. Every single team in the country has these. And a lot of the other teams in the country, they don't play as hard as our guys do. They don't seem to have the same energy as our guys do. And they don't seem to have a coach who knows what he's doing as much as our guy does. So that's, again, my best piece of advice. If you are a you know, diehard Louisville fan who's still a little bit concerned, you're a little bit panicky, you tend to dwell on the negative, just watch more college basketball. Um, any parting thoughts before we get out of here, Dan? Uh, parting thoughts. I mean, this is, God, this is the best time of the year. I mean, if, especially if you're a Louisville fan, the way they're playing right now, just – buckle up and enjoy the next two months and i say two months because we're going all the way to april uh i am just so jacked for this stretch run that um you know it's i'm I'm giddy before every game even wake forest i I couldn't be more excited so uh you know let's just keep the good times rolling all right love the uh, i I totally agree could not agree more best time of the year and i'm could not be more excited for the the two months that we have ahead we end the podcast like this every single time Uh, If you haven't yet subscribed to the pod, please give us a a review if you can and write or give us a rating if you can and write us a review if you can. Those things really, really help us out. And to try and urge you to do so, we like to read a a couple of the reviews before we get out of here. Cards1127 said, love the show. Really good listen. I don't normally put reviews, but glad we have a a podcast finally that's directly about UofL sports. I listen to you all at work and I really enjoy it. You guys make me laugh all the time. Just wish you had more time to put more out because it's so good. Um, <clears throat> I, I know who this person is, and they informed me after they wrote this review that they created their iTunes Apple account when they were, I think, 13 years old. So it's not nearly <laughs> as funny as it is now. And he, he didn't realize it until he actually hit send on the review. But from balls in my mouth, dude. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that was my AIM name, freshman year. Shout out to you, Keeling. Love you. Uh, Mike and Dan are cool. Mike and Dan are cool when they pod together on their podcast. Straight to the point. Straight to the point. All right. Love it. Exactly what you've come to expect from balls in my mouth, dude. That's uh, what he brings to the table. Uh, Let's see here. Love the content. Uh, Love this podcast. Hearing Mike drop F-bombs makes everything tolerable. Keep up the good work. Thank you to BLM2588. Again, if you want to write us a review, we're probably going to read it on air. Make that happen for us. We really, really appreciate it. We're going to be talking to you guys a couple more times before the end of the week. Thanks so much for locking into episode 11. I know this was a little bit long. We'll keep the next few shorter. But uh, until we talk to you next, go Cards, beat Wake Forest. Go Cards.